0: Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. Buckle up. This month's theme in The Yes Collective is emotional trauma, and we're kicking everything off with our interview with the incomparable Tanner Wallace, Ph.D. Tanner is a trauma recovery coach and educator, a level one practitioner in internal family systems, a complex trauma survivor, and a parent. She also earned a Ph.D. in education from UCLA and was a tenured professor at the University of Pittsburgh studying psychological safety and the motivation to learn. Tanner describes herself as a compassionate, no-contact daughter, supportive sibling to an also-in-recovery human, a second wife, an ex-wife, a biological mother, a stepmother, a holder of space, a cheerleader, and a champion for self-energetic living. We dove deep into trauma, complex trauma, and healing from trauma as a parent, partner, and person. Tanner dropped so many nuggets of wisdom you're gonna need to listen to this one multiple times. So without further ado, here is our interview with the amazing Dr. Tanner Wallace. Tanner Wallace, thank you so much for joining us on the Yes Collective podcast. We are so grateful to have you here because the Yes Collective theme of the month is emotional trauma, and you're the perfect expert to have on. So you're a trauma recovery coach and educator. You're a level one practitioner in internal family systems. You have recovered from your own complex trauma and you're a parent but you also have a phd in education and you were a tenured professor studying psychological safety and the motivation to learn okay so that was a lot did i miss anything So that's
1: like the really tidy version of it i think the more authentic version is is that um externally i was a very high achieving high performer that Constantly had chaotic, negative relationships, and didn't understand why. Even though I taught human development, I was in psychology, and even though I struggled with my parenting, and and hit so many rock bottoms before, I was given the gift of Pete Walker's book, which is called Surviving to Thriving, um, about complex trauma. And the day I read that book, I thought to myself, I finally understand why. Like I am the way I am, I make so much sense. So I think that's like, like the, the best intro. I mean, all those other things are like, yeah, I did that, I did that, I did that, mostly in trauma responses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so that's fascinating, yeah. and I would love to get into that later. How trauma responses yeah. can appear to the outside world to be really functional and and high. My whole life as a yeah. trauma response,
1: and in fact, one of the reasons I left the academy is because that was entirely predicated on my performance part being fully engaged at all times. And I realize like, that's actually not my true self. That's a survival mechanism, but yes, we can keep talking about that. Mm. I mean, Justin, yeah. as
2: a recovering academic, I imagine that really resonates with you. And then it makes, you know, we both worked in academia and that what comes up for me hearing this is, uh, it's just almost an arranged marriage of folks in trauma response with these parts, you know, activated, like it, it, like in, in what environment is that not the case really? I mean, work, work environment. That's. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot
1: of work environments, you know, exploit, I I think some professions Mm -hmm. are worse than others, but definitely exploit, you know, people's kind of survival codes, right. They, they, they benefit the business, they benefit employers. And so it's kind of learning how to find the,
0: I call it like the squeaky clean version of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's unburdened. Hearing that, I recognize a lot and in myself and in my past experiences in academia. And it strikes me, I really appreciate how you broaden the lens and you're like, okay, this is a a lot, most work environments. And it strikes me that any place where we can see clear hoops and clear rules and it's like oh if i can jump through this hoop if i can uh, uh, align with these rules then i'll finally be okay is that what you're getting at
1: i mean i think it's it's probably like you know as you well, I'm like deeper and a little more complex than that but i mean it's like a whole ecosystem right like how we interact with each other how we uh, resolve conflict how we negotiate power differentials, how we reward people for their contributions to the community. I mean, all of that has its like interconnected web of um, sort of like benefiting p- ha- the level of productivity that's the highest without necessarily considering um, what do people need to do this level of like productivity, but still maintain like h- health and well being a lot of how we maintain health and well being is through like the best survival code that we have as humans, which is like in distress, lean in and connect, right? I mean, that's, that's the ultimate survival code. That's what we want for our children. That's what we want for our partnerships. That's what we want for our employee, employer relationships. When people are in distress, lean in and connect. But a lot of our ecosystems can't accommodate that, you know, they design. So that's not actually a way of of
0: receiving support or kind of getting through a stressful situation. And so you were not in this ecosystem that you the healthy ecosystem that you just described in academia. And so the the transition out for you, was it really that book? Like, was that book the big turning point for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was slow. I mean, I think, you know, anytime you're doing identity shifting work, it's clunky and messy. And for me, it was the unraveling of core identities that I thought were my personality. And what I came to understand is my trauma has been masquerading as this personality. It's not who I am. And that's a big, big point in one's life. <laughs> I mean, I think people face it, you know, I have not had. I've I've used drugs and alcohol and other things as like reach sex is like a reach you know like which I a reach in the relational healing lab is when you're looking for just that thing to get you out of your body or distract you from what's really happening. Um, I've used those things as reaches, food, but I don't I, I wouldn't say I've ever had like an addiction. Like I know some people in uh, my world have had, but I think you know when you're recovering from addiction, any major thing where you see this huge consequential thing that has literally organized your life is not actually you and it's a trauma response, that's a really disorienting thing to face. And I think when you just clearly face it as childhood trauma, there's this additional layer that this set of relationships that you've walked your life with are suddenly shifted into a new light. It's literally as if, I mean, I talk about this in other places, I think waking up to your trauma is like you're in a dark room. You can't find your way out and you're, you're just, I don't know where I am, but it's super dark. This is not okay. And then someone flips on a light and you look around and you think to yourself, this level of clarity around what is actually happening in my life is really disorienting. And so I think for me, Part of the transition, the shedding of the identity, was I did this kind of really wobbly, um, not smooth transition into content creator, podcast host, where I wanted to tell my story more. I wanted to really connect with this identity as survivor. That's complicated in my story as well, though, because I, I was in active recovery. And so when my performance part was still really engaged, right, this part of me but I was too, I wanted to start truth telling about my survivorship. I kind of built this big community around me that was about being a survivor, about being in the community. And really the truer version of that is I really want to be a mentor and a coach. Like I, 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 I don't want to be like in a survivor community, peer-to-peer. Like I, I'm a leader. Like I I have aspirations to lead, to be a thought leader, to be an innovator. So there was this kind of messy transition where I built a lot of community spaces and then recognized this still isn't my true self. There's still a truth that's trying to emerge here that I'm not ready to leave my expert professor self behind because there's a piece of that that's really true self, you know, mm. about mentorship, leadership. So then I kind of had to wobble through that, kind of rebuild this alternative universe outside of the academy. It's even a little bit different. And um, so it's it's been, I mean, recovery in real time that involves real humans and I've done it so publicly it, it, it's like a very like, ooh, ooh. and the people that are still walking with me i have some people in my community that literally started when my first podcast was marriage is hard and they're still listening they're still in containers with me i'm like you have walked with me through a lot
2: like, so
1: I have a front row seat in this so yeah but, but the academy is long gone i mean really long gone even to the point of you know, there's an ifs internal family systems conference and you know it, when it came out i thought oh I should present, you know, I should run a workshop, like I'm innovating theory around complex trauma and IFS. And then I looked at the application. I'm like, for what? This doesn't benefit my, I mean, this might feel good, but I don't need external validation to know that I'm building theory around IFS and complex trauma. Anyone who wants to know that will come find me and talk to me. So it's this really like empowered move away to just build something that works for me. So that was a long answer. I don't know if that's,
2: It was beautiful. I I thank you. I feel like you invited us to travel with you and I, I'm a very visual person, you know, so I felt like I was really there with you along the way. And one thing, a question that came up for me is when you, when you picked up that book and, and you, you, you started to realize that the, the life that you're in was built in trauma response and you kind of unveiled, you flipped on the lights like that. Yeah. Yeah did you have help? Did you, or, or did you, uh, did you already have help? Or at that point, did you, did you start figuring out yourself? What was that like for you?
1: So that is such a profound question. Like as soon as you said that, I felt this immediate emotional response. I thank you for just like asking such an important question. I didn't. And that's part of my journey as well, is that, you know, I've said this, that, that book gave me the answer, but it did not give me a method and a map. <laughs> it was like, here's your answer. I was like, okay, great. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a make things happen type person. I, I have resources. That's so great. I'm ready. I'm, I'm here. Let's do this. What do I need to do? And I looked around and no one could tell me. It was like this little thing here, this little thing here, and this is the beauty of being trained as a scientist and having expertise in human development. When people were presenting me options, I immediately was like, I'm a developmentalist. I, I didn't know I had trauma, which is shocking and shows you what your brain and body do. But now that I know there's no way this complex of, a, of an injury to my brain, of, a, of an ecosystem around me can be solved, like just from an intervention potency standpoint, there's no way, (laughs) like what you're telling me is not believable because I've studied interventions in the real world. And so I just knew that a developmental process that had taken decades to kind of transpire, there's no way that the piecemeal solutions I was being handed were going to have the potency to address all the different aspects of what you really need to do when you're 42 with four kids and a second marriage and a everything built around your trauma there's just no way and your brain not processing information you know in a way that's that's based in reality i've been on a journey since then to to create that for people so that when they have that moment where they read p walker's book or listen to a podcast or see an instagram post someone's like i know where you go you go to the relational healing lab just start walking it's all there
2: oh that's incredible was it a big step for you starting to share your story? Was that a big step in, 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 expression?
1: So what's really fascinating about it, which is another really great question. What's fascinating about that is I did, and it felt big. And actually in retrospect, it's actually the smallest part of your journey.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: was the only thing that was available to me readily. So I grabbed it and grasped it because it made sense because that's what I saw other people doing. That's what but in fact, from a parts work perspective, from internal family systems, that was not true self telling that story. When I listen back to some interviews I did, even my own podcast, like I've deleted Instagram posts, but I've kept my podcast totally intact as an archive of my healing. When I listen to older episodes, those are wounded parts telling my story. They're, they're, protective parts, wounded parts, they need to truth tell. They need to be witnessed. You don't need that publicly for healing. And in fact, I kind of wish a lot more of that was private because I didn't need to do that publicly to heal. You can do that in private mm-hmm. containers, there's spaces, and it's it's this much of your healing journey. Mm-hmm. It, so it's it's a fascinating question that you see so much of that.
2: Right. But that's
1: right. a trauma response to wanting to seek justice.
2: Yes, and it, it's energy
1: out and it can be really destructive mm-hmm. to your relationships. So right. I, I actually think there's a, a really healthy way to do that that has this more effective healing benefits without the external relationship destruction.
2: Yeah. And I'm thinking about that through our lens, um, actually, else, you know, alongside Yes Collective, but through our nonprofit work in the childhood cancer community. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it for myself with the trauma of my son's diagnosis and, and, that, you know, I know almost 11, almost exactly 11 years ago, you know, just mm-hmm. being thrown into that world. And yeah. I can identify w- with that. And I think many of our moms who probably listen to this podcast can identify with that, with that taking that step mm-hmm. to publicly yeah. tell the story. But I, but I love and it's so value and appreciate, uh, the connection you're making here with the, the speaking out of the protector parts and that wounded, the wounded parts and the, the speaking of, when you said the word justice, I mean that was like the 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 key. So can you share? I'm sorry, Justin, I know I'm hijacking, jump in right after this, but it's just now, now I mean we're set it's up right. Like, so the public right. So <laughs> <that's what laughs> go for it. What's a better what's a better way? You you mentioned that there is
1: there's probably a better better way to do this. What is yeah. that? Yeah. So I think a better way to do I mean, so one of the other things, and maybe you can relate to this and being in communities where big things happen, traumatizing things happen and storytelling is, is the primary way to get connection, that takes a huge energetic toll on a support mm-hmm. community. When people are showing up in containers and they're just dumping their truth, dumping the details. Yes. Everyone has to relive that trauma and Mm -hmm. parts are now, you know, engaged that feel obligated because when you see a human suffering, you see someone in the depths of it. Now I have to have my caretaker parts, potentially my therapist parts, my coach parts, my parents part step up and, you know, offer you something because it's cruel not to and just ignore that. And so it also really lowers the frequency of the healing in a container that's there for peer support. So I think a better way is to really contain that truth-telling to very specific containers where the invitation is, this is a truth-telling container. So you're opting into it. You you knowingly are like, yes, mm-hmm. like I have a part mm-hmm. of me that wants justice, that wants to speak the truth about, I guess, in a cancer would be like a doctor that misdiagnosed or the right. poor way my spouse supported me or how horrific it was. Um, for my kid to cry when they were, you know what I mean? You come in prepared and like this part of me needs to just have witnessing and validation and have a moment to just say it unfiltered, Mm -hmm. uncensored, maybe not even fully the truth, but our experience of what happened to us needs to be voiced. That should be contained in very specific truth-telling containers where the survivor is guided by someone to identify what part of you needs to tell this truth. And are there other parts of you that are concerned or want to censor or silence this part? And then that's a process of like, ooh, yeah, there's a part that's like, we shouldn't criticize the doctor because then at the end, it was like they saved. And so it feels really like ungrateful. So then you do this inner work of like, no, parts of us deserves space in an uncensored way to release this truth. Because if we just keep suppressing it inside, the energy is still there and it's exhausting because it's some internal processing level. <laughs> you're dealing with that anger, but you're suppressing it. You're like, let's just get it out. So there's a pre-release, pre-truth telling healing process that is super beneficial. People show up in the container. It's equally shared. Someone shares the truth. People yeah. witness it, they validate it, they get to connect to it, you move on to somebody else. Then you cl- you put all the energy in the container, you close the container, you walk people through moving the energy and leaving it in the container, and then they can come back and tell the truth from another part. <laughs> like So it's this yes. really orchestrated, structured process. And I think this goes to a bigger thing about trauma healing that I would love to have a chance to say here, which is One of the things I'm so passionate about, and I think this is my researcher's analytical mind, meeting trauma that's very emotional and embodied in this perfect marriage is it's not messy to heal trauma. The experience feels messy, but the structure to walk someone through trauma healing is actually very structured, very sequenced, very predictable. Because it's a brain injury, so it's so universal. Our details Mm -hmm. might differ a little bit, but it's your brain and your body. And there's some universal laws about how those things function in the face of trauma that are freakishly universal. That's where we don't serve trauma survivors well. It's not Mm. complicated. we, We know exactly what to do. It's just how do you scale that and how do you get it? In the hands of people that need it so i think like that response i gave is showing you there is a structure but when you just put survivors in a container and imagine everyone's going to heal or imagine 50 minutes a week with a therapist who's not connected to their whole ecosystem it just it's it's like a setup to fail
2: that's resonating so much go ahead justin i'm just just i wanted to share i've got all of the the fields around this it's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah
0: so yeah, like we've, we've gone into the deep end of amazing, amazing stuff. And I want to unpack a little bit more of it, but I feel like I wanted to kind of pull us back to the shore and just define if you could for us, Tanner, what is trauma and what is complex trauma?
1: Yeah. I mean, my definition is pretty straightforward, pretty pragmatic. And of course it's taking a lot of different resources across a lot of different people and integrating them into a way I think people can understand. So you know, all of us in life have stressful, challenging things happen. You know, the human experience is one where we can't control every outcome. We can't control every situation. People around us are in all different states of wellness and health and people have all different kinds of resources. So it's, it's expected that we will experience stressful, challenging events. And I know some of this is going to be videos. So I'm using my hands for those of you that are listening. And I have one hand like that's showing there's a certain level. And then I have another hand on top. And so I think of this bottom hand as our coping skills, right? Like how much capacity do we have to process what's happening? How much capacity do we have to um, make sense of the stress to take in all that's needed to be taken in? And then the top hand is kind of the stress level of the event or situation. And so in one hand of the stress level of the situation and our coping skills, there's a gap and that's a potentially traumatizing event. Our coping skills are not keeping pace with the stress of the event. And what's really fascinating about this is there's no absolute scale of the stress of an event. It's so dependent on us as a human, on our ecosystem, on our brain processing, what we've experienced before, what's come after. I mean, so so it's just, it's all very unique to a human. What makes something traumatizing is either that gap does not close, so we don't know how to increase our regulatory capacity or our ability to you know gain new skills, to make the experience of the stress less. So we're like raising the bottom bar, or we have agency resources, you know some way to decrease the stress of the event, so the gap is closed. When you're a child, this gap is happening all the time for you because it's a developmental process, right? You don't, you're you're a developing human, you're you're in all these new environments all the time. I mean, you, you want that gap to be there for your kid occasionally. And what we as good parents or good enough parents are charged with doing and as humans is minimizing the gap in a way that's developmentally appropriate and builds resiliency. So it's not like we just take away the gap because nothing ever stressful happens or we do everything for them. So there's no skill building. It's like, you want the gap to happen for your kid. And then you teach them how to build their regulatory capacity. And then you use your adult choices agency to minimize where you can, or equip them to minimize it where they can. Where trauma happens is what happens afterwards. If that gap is not closed, there's not a safe human, that's paying attention, that is well enough to protect and do this work, the gap increases for a kid or increases for an adult. And then you have now what is trauma, right? Like there, there the gap increased. It you you and then you develop, you know, your brain, your body, your mind is like this gap isn't okay. We know that for our survival, our evolutionary code's are like, nope, this isn't good. So you you figure out how to close it, but that's in a like an adaptive way that's not in the connect to minimize stress it's around like the freeze the fight all the different trauma responses complex trauma as i think about it is when that gap happens again and again and again across your childhood and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and there's an additional layer to it that is nuanced but really important from a developmental perspective is that it's happening in the context of attachment. So not only is the gap there, but you are developing this additional story that is, I'm not worthwhile. There's something wrong with me because I shouldn't feel this way. And I'm seeing my parent, even if I couldn't articulate this instinctually, I know my parent is the one who's supposed to be protecting me, attuning me, making this better. And I might even see that happen for other people and it's not happening for me. And because cognitively, I don't have the levels of metacognition or hypothetical thinking, my only theory I can understand as a kid is it's me. Something's wrong with me. That becomes a really powerful core wounding. and. There's an additional layer to complex trauma that I think people don't talk about enough. And that is in order for this process to happen, you are nearly, I'm a scientist, I won't say like hundred percent, right? Cause there's always <laughs> a chance. It might not be, but like 99.99999. <laughs> yeah. This only happens in a trauma ecosystem and a trauma ecosystem means that there's been an intergenerational transmission of trauma,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which has two important features to it. One is there's absolutely a genetic component to it, right? So there's, there's a, there's a predisposition to have a heightened sensitivity to stress and not have the coping skills. There's also the trauma ecosystems create more crisis and challenge because you're in this fear-based paradigm. You're not making good decisions. So you lose out on both ends of that gap. <laughs> you're already compromised, To have the coping skills. And the adults, because they're in this fear-based paradigm, they're living in a fear-based frequency. So much has been passed down. They're just making poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. So you have more stressful things to cope with. You put all of that together, what I just described, and that's complex trauma. And that's what you're facing as an adult, to wait, to, to literally walk yourself, literally walk yourself out of. And it is the most profound. Personal development I have ever personally witnessed when someone wakes up to that and is like got it, Tanner, got it, okay, got it, and they choose to fix it and solve it mm-hmm. and heal it because there's a lot of people in my world they get this news from me who has this really comprehensive view of it and they're like yeah I can't do it or like no that this is actually let me just stay here but the humans that hear what I just said and say, okay, Tanner, what do I do? And they walk through it for a year, which is what I think it takes to get through it is a full year of it being a top three priority with massive changes in your life. And you'll get through it and you'll heal. And you just keep coming back. You keep coming back. You fall down, you get back. I mean, it's elite performance at a whole different level. And it literally changes the course of human evolution. Like I said that in a podcast and my husband listened to it. He's like, "Whoa, that's a really big claim. And so I was waiting for him to, because he's also a researcher. I was waiting for him to be like, you shouldn't have said that. And he looked at me and he said, and it's a claim you can actually make. So oh, yeah, yes. Oh, is. I'm so with
2: you on that. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for saying that. I so deeply, yes. deeply share that with you. Yes. And I feel like for the first time, in our human history we're at a place where we're a part of this massive evolutionary shift as yeah. we a, a, as we sign up and show up you know to do this work yeah. and we can figure out ways to provide the resources like what you're providing and and bring yeah. them in mass in scale yeah. i mean it'll be probably the first time in human history that we're addressing trauma like this and it has the capacity to change the course of of the world
1: yeah it's amazing and you know, social media is a, a a major part of that story, right? So I have a sixteen-year-old, and you know what they know uh, compared to what I knew at sixteen because mm-hmm. of Instagram and and because of TikTok, and I, of course, you know, I mean, I'm a content creator, so I have some opinions about things. Yeah. But I mean, the the information is there for kids younger. So even if they're totally immersed in this trauma ecosystem don't, don't know if there's a light to switch on a post on Instagram about gaslighting. Yes. They could say that, well, wow. Okay. Gaslighting that, that I think I, I think my parents gaslight me. And that's a, just even knowing that there might be an alternative framework to you're not crazy. You're not the broken one. Even though your parents are positioning you as the scapegoat to all the trauma I mean, that alone could just be the seed so that at 18, 19, they start getting the help. It's not two decades in yes. after they've built a whole life. Yes. They're trying to fix it all or unravel it or rebuild it. Yeah. So, so I'm a huge social media. I mean, I'm a huge social media proponent and fan um, myself personally, even with teenagers. Like I say that I'm like, there's a huge upside to it.
2: Yeah, wow. I appreciate that. You're sharing a different, you know, uh, I think a different lens to sort of the norm. And what, I'm, what I hear often is just very fear-based, you know, thinking and like helplessness, you know, around it. Um, I've seen our daughter, for example, learn so much from TikTok. I I mean, I love TikTok. Like there are so many interesting tiny
1: doses of I like really, I need really- to get to TikTok. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, is it kind of in like the future future? But yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I agree. I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally
0: with you. Yeah, totally. All right, Justin. and I cut you off. <laughs> Before we get into TikTok and uh, social media, yeah, so my <laughs> like job, like, exactly, is I'm bringing it back. Tracks. I do have a quick curiosity that I want to follow up on. Yeah. The people that you work with who, when they get this broader perspective from you on complex trauma and are like, uh, nope, I'm, I'm out. Is this, I'm imagining that one of the big barriers for them is they can see if I follow you down that road, I'm going to lose everyone in my life.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, hundred. Yeah, I
0: mean, because they're, they're like, like, oh my gosh, mom, dad, sister, like, uh, like extended family, like that road leads me out of the trauma ecosystem. That is my entire Social network
1: Yes, I think so, and it's paired with a lot of perspectives like looping back to something we talked about that don't think about a developmental context for doing this work that it's incremental that you don't have to burn everything down all at once that you know we know a lot about mm-hmm. communication about emotional intelligence, if you kind of do the inner work first and then when you're healed enough I mean so the way I look at it is I have like circuits of healing power. It's, it's a sequence and a scope. The first three are just you getting leadership of your own internal world. It's not until circuit four do you start addressing external stuff. And so at that point, you're in a wiser mind. You, you typically can coach yourself through a trauma response. You can you know, ideally even coach somebody else through their own trauma response, not to make it worse. So when you do all that foundational work, when you get to the point where you're deciding, is this person coming to me to the other side or are they not? It's actually a really peaceful, very accepting, grounded in forgiveness. Like, for example, I'm no contact with my mom. I have been for over a year and a half. The door is open for her. Like, I haven't drawn any hard lines. I've just, you know, she does have a way to get in touch with me. Should, Should she kind of do the things that I need her to do to be healthy for me? which are very basic things. And I feel forgiveness for her. I feel no animosity towards her. I feel compassion towards her. And this is coming from, from very deep, deep trauma perpetuated by my mom. And I feel very energetically neutral, loving. So it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? So like, I think people absolutely imagine that for hundred percent sure. And the fear like, cause it's all fear. Like trauma yeah. is fear. I'm terror. Yes. Like, I'm terrified. I'm scared. I don't trust myself. I don't trust other. It's so fear. Like if you strip everything down, trauma is terror and fear. And yeah. so when they first hear that message, it just means that there's no part of them that sees past the fear. And I think the people that are like, wait, I'm okay, I'm going to walk a little bit with you, Tanner. That means they have some part of them That's brave. That's like, yeah, we got this. We want this, you know, and it might not even be true self, but it's just some performance part or some manager or taskmaster or just some part that's like, yeah, "Yeah, let's, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could, you know?
2: Well, I mean, we've had a lot of, of IFS laced throughout this, uh, beautiful conversation. So Tanner, what my curiosity is, how'd you find IFS?
0: Oh, wait, real quick, just in case. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just want to say just for listeners who might have kind of not oh, yeah. been paying really close yeah. attention. IFS stands yeah. for internal family systems. Okay.
2: Thank you, Justin.
1: <laughs> or parts work.
0: So like, you can also just parts
1: call it parts work. work. Yeah. Which, because internal family systems is such a weird name. I think, I mean, it makes sense why it's called that, but it feels very, iconic. it makes sense so once part you part know. Yeah. Of, yeah. 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 Parts work that we have these parts of us mm-hmm. that are sub personalities or neural networks that developed adaptively in response to what does it take for us as a human in our environment we are raised to be okay. <laughs> and so all of us have these different parts that just developed understandably like a muscle, right? So if you're working out or you're an athlete, like you can always tell a swimmer, right? A swimmer <laughs> has those big shoulders, right? Or, uh, or a runner has, you know, legs that are really defined. You know, you can kind of see the muscles. It's the same thing with your brain, right? If there's certain survival codes that you needed those become reinforced. They become developed heavily. Um, And so those are parts of you. That's one way to think about it as well. I, as a content creator was on Instagram, you know, always kind of looking for people to interview, which I'm sure is, you know, similar to what you all do on your podcast, kind of always looking for people. And Justin Martin, parts of me therapy was posting about IFS and I reached out to him and I interviewed him. And that interview on my podcast is 45 minutes to an hour of me trying to understand what he's saying, because it was so different than what i had experienced. It was so different. I, I had no framework for it. And then I, a week later, was in a really significant trauma response, emotional flashback. And I tried what he was talking about and I had wild success with it. So I actually had him back on and interviewed him again about my experience. He was so generous with his time. He's such a generous, loving human. And if people are interested in IFS, he also takes clients, he's a coach and he's, he's such an incredible human. And from there it was just, I wanna get trained and this is so helpful. And you know, where I stand on it now is it's the foundation, but it's not sufficient. So I think IFS absolutely is the foundation of healing trauma. If you have complex trauma, it's not sufficient. Like there's, there's other things you need to add on internally as well as externally, because, you know, IFS is really about, Madeline Warren said this on my podcast, and it was such a good way of like, she said, well, you know, I didn't want to just be turned inside out. I needed other things. And I I really resonated with that. IFS kind of turns you inside out so you can lead your inner system, but we're humans in context, right? In relationships, and with complex trauma, I do believe there's a lot of dark energy, unattached burdens that is the genetic component. And, and, and something you can't quite put your hands on that might not be genetic, but is something about witnessing so much darkness that just does seem to have some ancestral things that are hard for me to even explain as a, as a researcher. Like, I, I've seen it, I've felt it, I don't have words for it. And I do think there's some more energy work that's needed around that. And I, I I'm not a woo woo person, and I've come to really understand that some of the shamanistic traditions are absolutely foundational to complex trauma. So so you know it's a foundation, mix in some other things, think developmentally. <laughs> oh my gosh,
0: yes, yeah. So how did your view of trauma? I, I like you. You've I think you've explained a little bit about this, but just to be explicit, how did your view of trauma change? after you got trained in IFS?
1: I don't think my view of trauma changed. I think I had a pretty good understanding of IFS because I had studied it, I had read about it. I was actually seeing Justin Martin for a stretch before my training, a little bit after my training. So I'd been a client in an IFS session. So I think what the IFS training did was first of all, give me confidence with you know guiding people through. But in a really unexpected way, I saw a lot of people with more normal inner worlds. I mean, I, mm. I, you only know what you know internally, right? Mm. So I'd only know my world. And, and in IFS training, it's not just didactic. It's part didactic, but you're in a training group. I was leading other participants in IFS sessions. I was being led by other people in IFS sessions. So you can't really... Hide your inner. I mean, it, you're, you're there. You're being turned inside out. I mean, so it helped me see my complex system more clearly because I was now seeing comparisons to people without those systems. And it was like, oh, okay. And it gave me what it gave me was this brilliant gift to tell survivors when I'm holding space for them in an IFS way you can say whatever's true about your system, there's nothing too dark. Are too big that we can't handle. And the reason that's so brilliant and so important, and it's such an important thing I learned, is that when you have complex trauma, your parts show up with severed hands, your parts show up with circuits in their brain that are leading to some dark lord, your parts show up as like a dog with like paper mache of, of brutal gang rapes from like the 1800s, stuff that doesn't fully make sense but makes sense for your system. And that is something that IFS has not, in my opinion, created safety around for, for survivors to really talk about, this is what my system shows up as. And to be able to hold space and say, that's okay. Like you, you, if you have a part that's like, don't say that, don't say that because that's not appropriate. Like, we don't know why that's here. It's too weird. You're a freak. What's wrong with you? That's the space I'm creating in an IFS complex trauma, you know, and people will talk about their dark parts, talk about their mutilated parts. And so it gave me perspective of how important it is and how different it actually is. I mean, the model's the same, but there's also things that don't really hold in the model that no one's talking about, like body memories. I mean, so I don't want to get super technical because I know this is, but there's, there's some technicalities that no one's really talking about. That I have found again and again and again guiding complex trauma survivors using IFS. So it gave me an appreciation of what trauma does to your brain. <laughs> mm. I, that, that's the shortest of way. And I guess that does <laughs> didn't shift what I knew about trauma. It shifted what I understood about the consequences of trauma.
2: You mentioned body memory. I'm I, I'm curious. So you, you mentioned some of these things that you you um, have been seeing with your clients that are are um, maybe not you know. Um, not well addressed, or maybe the tools are not fully there with with IFS. Um, Tell tell me about body memory and what surprised you and what you found.
1: They're so fascinating. And I'll tell you, you you mentioned at the beginning that I've healed and I I would say that I'm in the final stages of healing. There's still a self-like part and some of the deepest fear-based programming that I'm healing right still. So I'm still walking my active recovery, but Last night I had this experience with my partner and this is what healing affords you when you work with your parts and you kind of understand what self-energy is. There is this final phase where your body still remembers things, even if you're in self-energy and are not actually triggered. So I had the first time last night, it was so wild where I was talking about my kids and I was talking about some self-worth stuff that I'm still trying to work through and how I I realized I have not forgiven myself for some things. I'm not ashamed of them. i of them anymore. I'm not hiding them anymore, but there's still this level of, I need to forgive myself for some things. And as I was talking about it, I felt a part that I was, I've unburdened, but a lump in my throat. It's like a silencer part. And yet I did not feel the trigger cognitively. And it was the, it was like this, I've never had that happen. We're like, whoa, my body is remembering that when I talk about these things, I should feel this way. I shouldn't say these things. These things are too big to say out loud. You should be ashamed. You should feel this. And yet I'm not at all having my, my storytelling around it. My, my brain and my mind are having a very different experience of this than something implicit in my body. So that's how this mind, body, brain, there are three different tracks in trauma Sometimes they cohere very cleanly and coherently. And sometimes they're each doing their own things. And that is a huge healing insight. As you walk through recovery of like, how do I integrate? How do I become a fully functioning human with all my systems running on the same track with the same information, making the same interpretations, not traveling back in time to something that's not related to the present Mm -hmm. moment. So body memories in sessions during healing, so I gave a real world example of healing. In sessions, I found that there are a lot of body memories stored and parts will show up in surprising ways to test my ability to hold space for that body memory and coach the survivor through it to stay in self-energy and are testing the survivor. Can you handle this? Remembering of what happened and still stay with me in it. It's like a test. Mm -hmm. It's like a trial, and they're intense. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. to guide to be present. It takes a lot of um, because I think that in in non-IFS or IFS with a therapist that doesn't understand what's happening, you you would freak out because you become very concerned about the person. But what IFS offers trauma recovery is I'm okay. You're okay we're okay. This is all okay. It's the most powerful antidote to fear and terror. Like we are okay. There's nothing you internally, me supporting you cannot handle right now. These parts are traveling back in time. They're frozen. They're split off. They're reliving things 20 years ago. We can actually stand with them, witness and unburden them. But staying with that and not panicking or leaving the scene or distracting requires absolute faith and certainty. And I actually, when I interviewed Frank Anderson, I know you've had him on, I asked him about suicidal parts. When I hung up after we stopped recording, I said to him, I have you right now. I need to ask you directly. I've been trained that suicidal parts like are okay to work with, I need you to tell me directly, look me in the eyes and tell me you believe that with a hundred percent certainty, because I do not want to just take this lightly. I need to hear it from you. And so he told me, and then he gave me some caveats, some like things to, you know, think about externally and in the age of the person and, and you know, it, all those things, but it's, it's powerful to know we don't need to be afraid of our parts, even the big scary ones.
0: Even the big, scary yeah. ones, beautiful, yeah, I love that.
2: I feel like I want to put a pin in in that,
0: like I was just gonna say, I love the image that you drew for us of the part that's like testing, like is this too much for you are you are you gonna run away from me now? Are you gonna exile me now? are you gonna close close me off now and then just to continue to open up like no, nope <laughs> we are we are yeah. here for it at all, yeah,
1: man. yeah. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. So if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I might have complex trauma and this is mm-hmm. all like bringing up some stuff for me. What are some first yeah. steps that I could take besides going into a, a session with you or finding a really great therapist? Are there some, just, just some first steps that I can take at home on my own to put me yeah. on a pathway?
1: Yeah. I always recommend getting Pete Walker's book, The Surviving to Thriving. He doesn't, and I say this very respectfully, he does not have a parts work perspective. So some of the ways he talks about healing complex trauma do not align with what I believe is going to be most mm-hmm. um, healing. That said, is the most accurate, comprehensive portrait of what does it feel like to live with complex trauma and how you arrived at this place, like how, how being parented in certain ways created these conditions. So I think as a starting book, it's a really good place to start. I would say with that, take it slow, read it in sections and don't act on anything yet. (laughs) You know, like if there's an urge to act or tell the truth or start just having really intense conversations with people, I would say just breathe, let you and your system internally have a moment with what it means. You know, take your time with it. What does this mean for me? What is, what's coming up for me? Whether you journal, whether you walk, whether you sing, whether you dance, whether you paint, like just take, take your time with that book. Like let it be a first experience for you, uh, I think is, is what I would say. And then I think the next step you could do that's a very gentle, what's actually happening for me is something that actually Patrick Tian. Taught me as another trauma recovery coach, set an alarm for like three times a day, for like three days, and when that alarm goes off, take a moment and just look around be like who's here, what am I doing right now, and what am I feeling right now? So it's like who's around me, what's around me, where am I, and what am I feeling right now, and just start to drop a little more awareness into what what does my life actually look like and feel like. And from there, I would say, I mean, I do, this isn't about a paid container for me, but I would say if you're with that and you're like, okay, I mean, my podcast, some of the older episodes, there's one in particular that's like the most downloaded episode. And it's something like Why are your relationships so toxic? And there's another one that's like trust and boundaries. They're me talking about a year ago when I didn't understand everything. I wasn't as healed. I wasn't as in my power as a guide. So you're gonna hear more of a survivor that has a little bit of information that's helpful, but is still in the thick of unpacking things. And they're a really beautiful place to start to be like do i resonate with this does this language and this experience connect with mine and if it does i think you start to try to find places where you can just baby step into what would this look like for me and i mean i'm biased like I, there's no place like the relational healing lab <laughs> like and i don't say that to be like oh i want to make money off of you or i want you to i'm just literally saying there's no place in the universe like the relational healing lab. And so I personally think it's an incredible community. We're just getting started in a lot of ways. We have a free group. Come listen to some of my lives, connect with other people there. If that's landing with you, then you can start to piece together. What do I need? What is my resource level, time and money? Am I, am I doing this myself? Just slowly, am I going all in on a you know big container with somebody like, You just can kind of take a very empowered walk through things. And what's so important about that is it starts giving you language to start to talk to the most important people in your life, like your partner, if you have one, your children, if you have some, your employer, like how do you start Mm -hmm. creating space in your life for recovery? And you want to do that from a very empowered as lowering the frequency of fear as you can, even though it's there to try to baby step into just even setting up your recovery journey from a place that's not fear-based, more desire-based, to starting to plant seeds for what you want it to be.
2: It's beautiful. What you offer, this perspective strikes me as really powerful. And I think that um, it's going to be so helpful to so many others who are, are hopefully listening to this um, in the future, because so often you hear, go find a therapist, like go find a therapist, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, to in, in response to this. And so I, I really, I really appreciate the the small steps. It sounds like there's like this opening up to awareness, beginning to learn, beginning to take, you know, beginning to in, in and I love the self-healing journey because ultimately that's really what it's about. It's not going to someone else to be fixed. You may bring in a therapist, you may bring in coaches, you may bring in these tools, but I like how or love how you start with. With the, the person on the journey, their awareness and their empowerment as they start to make these choices for themselves moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Tanner, I, I have a few final questions. We're going to yeah. land this plane. Um, yeah. What is a new challenging thing that you're working on in your own personal growth and development?
1: Healing kind of has layers and it matches kind of the unburdening process of internal family systems where with complex trauma, you really work a lot with protective parts at first, honoring their shame, witnessing them, unburdening them. So they'll give you access to wounded younger parts and then you release them from your system and then you keep working with protective parts, release dark energy. And then what I've discovered is for many survivors, there's the controller of the whole system. And that's a self-like part. And you usually don't meet that part until other things are gone. And it feels like a, a kind of a program that's running in your brain that given there were bigger things happening, you didn't even notice. You're like, I didn't even notice that there's, you know, this thing, like this alarm sounding all the time because when there's things popping off all the time and it's really big inputs. But if you do healing in this, more peaceful, sequential, calm, self-led way, which I advocate mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. you are changing internal and externally simultaneously. So your relationships are also much calmer. So you're starting to see patterns where you're like, well, we're not in crisis mode anymore. We're, we're calm and yet there's still some stuff here. And now I'm, now I'm noticing these deeper patterns of how I show up with other people in this programming. So the two things I'm working on or with my partner, really shifting things so that our core interactional patterns that aren't meeting both of our needs at some fundamental level, we're releasing ourselves from those. And that's some challenging, deep soul work because we've built our life around some implicit agreements. So, you know, it's it's structurally and logistically as well, right? I mean, so doing that to, to meet each other and and kind of true self and support each other. I think individually, I still have pretty big fear-based thoughts that I wasn't even aware of. So like I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have this panic. And it sounds like you've messed it all up. It's all broken, give up. And so just really tenderly reparenting that part of me to be like, I, we got this. We're good. Like you know, we look. We can take this aligned action. We can, you know, we can just really baby step. So it's really like from the outside world, people would no longer see my healing. And in fact, it's some of the deepest—I wouldn't say hardest, but deepest, most concerted effort I've ever made in my healing. But it, from the outside, it would probably look like you don't see it because I don't talk about it anymore. I mean, that's the thing that happens with healing—is that. When, when you're really at the end of it, you just manage it and not in a stuffed down way, but just, I understand now, like, this is my stuff and I work through it and I deal with it so that when I am in the presence of somebody else, it's all squeaky clean. You know, it's really different. It's so fascinating.
0: Yeah. Oh, so Tanner, so I, I have three, three really quick fire questions, but before okay. I get to those, how yeah. can people get in touch with all that you're doing. So what are all the different places where there's where can only one go? now.
1: I've dismantled oh, a, I'm taking down right. my website later today. It's too oh. much.
0: I'm like <laughs> one thing
1: is all I can handle. There's too much healing to be done. Um so it's Instagram. Just okay. Instagram's Dr. Tanner Wallace. It's that's the hub of everything.
0: Beautiful. I've tried different right. things. It's just too much. Instagram. So just Instagram yeah. Dr. Tanner Wallace. All there. All, all right. So the three quick fire questions. Okay. So if you could put a big post-it note on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say?
1: Oh my gosh. This is such a good question. Your kids need you to lead yourself so that everything to them feels about them. Mm. That's kind of a clunky sentence,
0: but some version of that. Yes. I'm loving that. Your kids need you to
1: lead yourself so that their experience of their world is it is that it's about them
0: yeah 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 like like they're not unpacking your baggage
1: right or carrying yeah yeah that you're you're squeaky clean with them yeah yeah
0: so the second one is uh do you have or can you think of the last quote that changed the way you think or feel
1: yeah. So, so it's kind of an odd one and you might be like, oh, that's such an interesting thing for you to say. And, and I hope I can unpack it. So it lands with everyone listening. Cause we haven't really talked about this part of my journey, but there's been a woman who's a mentor and she's a, she's a female online coach. Her name is Melanie Ann Lair, and anyone and she has a business called alpha femme. And anyone who lands in her account would be like, what, this does not seem like something after everything that Tanner said, would resonate and she'd be in a year-long container with this woman and just re-signed for a second year. But one of the things that Melanie says is the money is just the byproduct of the woman you become. And why that's so important to me is one, I have a lot of money trauma. It's, it's complicated. I'm not going to go into it, but it's this weird part of my own story. And it's also the legacy burden of being female in my experience in the United States. So I just want to speak very concretely to my experience and her view on money as power, as energy, as a currency we use to control people, but also to free people and liberate people is something I never heard in my adult life. And it's something I'm still trying to understand But it's this powerful thing as an online entrepreneur and coach and someone in active recovery that works with trauma and sees how very competent people have backed themselves into financially very compromised situations or on some societal level, we traumatize people by not giving them access to financial resources. It's So it's very hard for me to unpack succinctly, but it has unlocked so many questions for me and, and I love that curiosity part of my life that's now present. It's not black and white. It's not like I agree or I disagree. But what does this person saying this thing make me want to know more about? And what does it make me want to ask follow up questions about? Like that's where I am now. So it's a it's a quote that's been like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I need to understand this. And what does this mean? It has it connect to things. So that's what I would and say. I'd love so it, to have
2: a follow-up conversation with you around this, the energetics of the work. I mean, I feel like the energetic components to all of this and the in fear and yeah. it, like, it, I would love so to have a follow-up.
1: <laughs> yeah. A separate conversation, but it's huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And could you give us that quote one more time?
1: Yeah. The money. Is the byproduct of the woman you become?
0: All right. So the third, yeah. So the third and final question. So I like to ask this question because for so many parents, and this is, you know, the Yes Collective is about yeah. working parents.
1: Oh my gosh, we could have a whole other
0: episode about parenting. Yes. Yes, I know. Oh my God, I can't wait for it. Yes. I like to ask this final question because the journey, you know, the parenting journey can be a grind. It can be so exhausting. And so it's nice to just step back for a moment and just think about what is your favorite thing about kids.
1: I I think that my favorite thing about kids is that sometimes they will just totally out of the blue. I don't know, you could be having an in-console conversation at, you know, Dairy Queen eating ice cream, and they will look at you and say something. And you will think to yourself, that is the most profound insight I have ever had about me, about you, about us, about the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? And there's no age limit to that. I mean, some of the sophistication of the language might change, but I mean, that can happen at one, well, not one, probably because they're not saying sentences, but as soon as they can speak sentences, like, or even just phrases all the way to, you know, complicated paragraphs of thought, and you just think to yourself, Wow. You know, just that's that different perspective, that more innocent or naive or less programmed perspective mm-hmm. on something just blew something wide open for you. Um,
0: so I think that's my favorite thing about kids. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, Tanner! Thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation, and I think we've opened up like at least two other topics at that late, we can late, do yeah. an entire <laughs> podcast on. So uh, we yeah, so are. I apologize
1: um, to listeners if they're like, "Whoa, you covered so much ground, but you didn't go deep." I feel like this was a broad sweep of things. So hopefully that that will just kind of open up doors for listeners to be like, well, maybe I want to explore that. Maybe I want to explore that."
0: Yeah for sure. And yes, we would, yes, so I agree.
2: And, and on. I would love, love, love to have the chance to connect with you again. Speaking of one of the trauma ecosystems where we're headed straight into the workplace. And so, um, I would love to talk with you further down the road about bringing, bringing some of your insights into the workplace yeah, and working on helping employers build a culture of, you know, complete inclusion where the full person is welcome.
1: Yeah. Yes. You're speaking my language. Yes. Thank you so much for your generosity, for your time. It's just such a pleasure Absolutely. to meet you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And it's always you know, rewarding to talk to, I think any interview or chance to step out of my world and talk about it outside of it, um, it's a good chance to just integrate and synthesize and, you know, remind myself the journey and, and what we're doing. So thank you for that gift to me. And I think, I mean, the one thing I always like to say, because I think we, we kind of touched on this, but is important, I think, whenever we talk about trauma, is if we I said this because you asked me directly, but I just want to end with this. If someone is listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, like I've traumatized my kids. Like I I I'm in a rock bottom. I just really want you to hear me say directly, any rock bottom you can stand up and walk yourself out of. And kids mm. are never. Ever too old for their parents to heal. Mm. There's like never an expiration date on that. I have had survivors that are 40 with parents in their 60s and 70s who have just started healing journeys. And the amount of healing that up levels when a parent starts to get honest about the trauma, there is no expiration date for that. So if this is you and you just like something about this, or you get Pete Walker's book because I told you to, and then you panic and you start to get super overwhelmed, I want you to know that it is okay. You will be okay. This is all okay. It's gonna be a lot of hard work, but you haven't irreparably damaged or harmed anything beyond what is fixable. That's really important you hear because I think sometimes It
0: can just be overwhelming, so it's all fixable. It's all able to be healed. I just want to leave with that. I would love to add that as the second post-it note that kids are never too old for their parents to heal. Like, (laughs) yes, that's it. I love
2: it. (laughs) Yes, it's something that everyone everyone needs to hear. I think it is the the most beautiful call to action. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a permission slip as our friend Jenny would say that it's such a powerful yeah. permission slip yeah. and so thank you thank you for
1: that yeah absolutely my pleasure thank you all so much for having me
0: hey if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast player share it with other parents in your life and give us a review on Apple Podcasts Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents so let's spread the love